the sun is shining and all of my favorite plant friends are popping up right now. Speaking of plants, what are you growing this year? Do you know? Do you know what kind of medicine will be in your garden? Or are you still trying to figure it out? Totally okay if you're still trying to figure it out. We're all growing and learning on this journey, right? But if you want some help, I do have a family medicine garden guides. It's basically 10 essential herbs that I feel like every mom needs to know and grow in their yard. I give you some growing tips and ways that you can use it as medicine, and it's totally free. So if you want that, I'm going to pop a link in the show notes here for you to grab it and give Get your hands digging in the dirt and growing incredible medicine for you and your family. Hello and welcome to the Herbalist Path, a podcast where you'll discover how to make your own herbal remedies at home so that you can take better care of yourself, better care of your family, and better care of our planet. I'm Mel. I'm a clinical herbalist, environmental educator, and mountain living mama with this crazy passion for teaching more mamas and their little loves how to use plants as medicine in a safe, effective, and tasty way so that there can be an herbalist in every home again. It's an absolute honor to have you on the journey down the herbalist path with me so that together, we can make herbalism. Hashtag spread like wildflowers. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode on the Herbalist Path. Today's episode, I know, is going to be a very, very special treat for you because I have one of my first teachers in the world of herbalism, Scott Close, in to speak to you about all kinds of amazing things. We'll tap into the world of wild crafting, regenerative, regenerative wild crafting, and connecting with the plants and with nature and with yourself and who knows what else is in store for us. I did have Scott on the show a few years back and it was certainly wonderful and I'm so happy to have you here again, Scott. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I super appreciate you having me back. It was super fun to connect with you last time and I really loved how our conversation flowed and looking forward to our conversation today as well. Yeah, you've always been such a a great mentor for me that has lasted so long. And when people ask me about my journey as an herbalist and who I've learned from and where I've gone and what I've done, one of the key things I can always say comes back to you in teaching me about meeting the plants and getting to know them, connecting with them, learning about how to gather them in a respectful way, also at the peak of their medicinal value, and how to make great medicine. And, you know, this was quite a while ago that I got to learn those things with you. And one of the other things that I thought was really special and really was great that we connected again here recently is you are who really introduced me to the power of Devil's Club. And it was one of our first field trips that we had went out on. I want to say it was like at the Cougar Falls or something like that. 
It was um, near Panther Creek. Yes, there, there we go. I was close. <laughs> um, and it was a very, very rainy trip. And you had us all sit in the patch of Devil's Club. And I just remember having these giant Devil's Club leaves over me, protecting me, so to speak, from the rain, though I love the rain. Um, and it was a really beautiful spiritual experience for me. And I have not gone to gather Devil's Club again ever since until this fall. And it's a patch that I've seen over the years living around where I do and um, got to take my daughter there and share the magic and power of Devil's Club and introduce her. And it was just really beautiful. Made me think of you. So just a little story to share. Um, I'd love for you to share a bit about you, Scott. Like, what do you do outside of my words? You know, who Mm. are you? How did you become you with this great book and a new book coming out wow maybe your plant path let's let's narrow that down that's a big (laughs) big question (laughs) let's go with your plant journey like how yeah the plants are entwined in everything i do but there are lots of different things i've been doing besides just herbalism and wildcrafting these days but Mm -hmm. let's stick to that yeah let's stick to that (laughs) um well, I started, I was thinking, I, I knew you were going to ask this, so I was thinking about it. And um, I started wanting to learn about how, identifying plants because when I first moved to Oregon in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. I, you know, I knew there were psilocybin mushrooms that grew here mm-hmm. and I, I need to find psilocybin mushrooms. So as I started um, like getting a guidebook to help me find them, it started saying, oh, well, you need, you know, this one grows under this kind of tree and this one grows under that kind of tree. And I look, I don't know what those kind of trees are. So I started <laughs> to learn the, you know, what the trees were and then the different plants. And then that kind of slowly took me as I started to really get more into plants. I never did find psilocybin mushrooms, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but I, I found the plants and, um, and I, you know, I think I read about this in my book, Pacific North medicinal plants that, what really got me on the track of wanting to um, be like a self-sufficient herbal herbal medicine person mm-hmm. was watching my grandparents die in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was my, it, I had had my own experiences of going to kind of like regular medical doctors and as a child, and I used to have really bad ear infections. And I can remember just one, one thing in particular was this one doctor that my mom was taking me to. He, I came in, with an ear infection and the first thing he did was he kind of clapped me on the side and said hey how you doing and i started screaming it was super painful i just felt like no there's no care involved (laughs) and then seeing my grandparents die you know um with like no dignity just like with tubes hooked up to them i couldn't it took me years to be able to go near a hospital after that because i was it created such a feeling of trauma in me and i was like i'm definitely not going to yeah. one of those places so i you know the pathway opened up for me through people i knew i had a a, a girlfriend at the time in particular who was just getting into herbs and we kind of started learning together and then um you know and then just the, yeah the start after i started learning about herbal medicine of course and i wanted to gather my own medicine because i lived you know in these places that were it was easily easy to access Mm-hmm. So that was back in like the mid nineties that I first started wildcrafting and I got, you know, I got a hold of, um, Michael Moore's book, plants of the 
Pacific West, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. The one that was just right next to yours that I just pulled yeah. off my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't that looked one? at it. Yeah. This was Pacific West. I haven't looked at that one for a long time, but I used to carry it everywhere with me. And just, I lived, I lived outside of Eugene at the time and would just go and um, find everything I could. And I learned so much from Michael Moore, you know, through his books. And then also um, I did uh 1999, I did an apprenticeship at the herb farm mm. and we got to do some wild crafting, learning more about it there, but I already kind of, I already had it pretty down. And then, and then in 2004, Four, I think, is when I started selling medicines. I was harvesting my, you know, plants, and then started making medicine from them. And two thousand four was when I finally got the courage to actually offer them to people. At first, I wasn't selling; I was just giving it medicine yep. to people. <laughs> and eventually, started selling it, and that's Cascadia Folk Medicine. It's still still going today. Awesome. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, but now I don't have to. That's awesome. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that story. It's it's uh, it's always such a lovely and winding journey to get there, right? And you can listen to the plants and let them lead you. You can think in the beginning that you know where you're going to go with it, but do we ever really know? No, no. So. <laughs> if I had known where I was going to be taken at that time, I might have said, "Oh no, no, I'm not going there," <laughs> because it's, it hasn't been an easy path. It's been really intense at times, and yeah. Uh, at, at this point in my life, I greatly welcome the intensity of those initiatory processes that have to happen. And I mean, that's like a really good segue into this whole thing that I'm wanting to bring yeah. forth, which is that it's not just about going out and harvesting. We actually have to allow ourselves to change mm. the way that we are oriented with the world because at least people that have been brought up and raised in the culture that we've been brought up in. Mm-hmm. We have this real, there's this real separate self aspect and that, you know, humans are the dominant species where the, you know, everything's about radiates about us revolves around us and how things are ours for the taking, you know, it's just baked into the, you know, that yep. the whole me, Bible thing and yeah. all the way through. And we can see where that's taken us to this, you know, the brink of ecological disaster uh, mm-hmm. across the whole planet. And it wasn't that long ago where you had to say, it seems like it's happening now. It's like, there's no doubt that it's, it's here. here. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, a huge percentage of plants are going extinct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I mean, I see it. I see places where plants used to thrive and they're not thriving anymore. Yeah, I see it as well. And it's really it crushes my heart and my soul because much of what got me into the world of herbalism was this desire to save the world and connect more people with nature. I had no idea at that point that I would be so immersed in the world of herbalism, which is really why I I so appreciate the work that you're doing. Oftentimes, one of the things I'll say to people is I hear a lot of people like, hey, Mel, what herb do I take for X, Y, Z? And I'm like, no, you, you really need to step out of that box that you've been trained to be in for so long no fault of yours like that's the society we live in but if you're seeking something different we need to also shift our behaviors and our thinking and it definitely is relevant to the world of wildcrafting and and preservation and being able to do regenerative wildcrafting is so important i see it so often 
on social media where people are like in this wild crafting group and they've got a big basket of tons of XYZ plant. And they're like, look, I just gathered all of this plant and, and what do I do with it now? First, it's the wrong plant, you know, usually, <laughs> right? And then, like, you've gathered so much and you didn't even have a use or an intention for it. Like, where's some some respect for these living beings, I guess, is yes. really where I come from. It. You could probably say it in a much more eloquent way, but this is what I come across a lot. I wanted to take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast, who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. I love this time of year. It's spring, the sun is shining, and all of our beautiful plant friends are popping up. It's amazing. Unless, of course, you're one of the millions of people who suffer from seasonal allergies. You know, the itchy, watery eyes, the sneezing and wheezing that's straight miserable. Thankfully, there are some amazing herbs that can help you with all of that. Just like the herbs inside of Kickask Allergy from Wish Garden Herbs, one of my absolute favorite herbal companies out there. Kickask Allergy, yes, I said ask without the K at the end. Anyways, this formula has yerba santa, nettles, echinacea for that immune support, and orange peels, all which come together to help dry up those excessive mucosal secretions. Yep, I'm talking about the sniffles and the stuffy nose, the watery eyes, and all that jazz. This blend also acts as a great expectorant and can help ease the swelling and inflammation in those mucosal tissues. It is a top go-to for seasonal allergies. And get this, they combine all those beautiful herbs with glycerin, so it actually tastes pretty darn good. Or should I say it tastes kick-ass without the K at the end. Anyways, if allergy season is miserable for you and you want a natural remedy that actually works for those itchy eyes and being all sneezy and wheezy, you have got to check out Wish Garden Herbs Kick Ask Allergy. And for those of you with the little kiddos, no sweat, they've got a kick it allergy too. And you pregnant mamas? You don't have to suffer either. They've got a kick-ass allergy formula just for you. So head over to wishgardenherbs.com or check out the link in the show notes and go grab yourself some kick-ass allergy so you can enjoy spring again. Yeah. It's. I think I think you said that very well, actually. <laughs> I can I can say more. Um, it comes to mind is this experience I had when I was um, I was I had a group of students that were I was doing a whole year long thing where we were going out to different places and doing more like ceremonial work with the plants or just like deep mm-hmm. connection with the plants, but there was also a component of wildcrafting in the places where we went. And we were in the mountains of Central Oregon, and at that time, at that time, I still felt pretty good about harvesting Ligusticum grayi, which is the mm-hmm. 
our one of our local uh you know pacific uh coast cousins of osha that grows mm-hmm. in the rocky mountains the lagusta comporteri and there's a place where I, it grows i know that it's super abundant i mean it grows there's like mountainsides covered with it so i felt good about bringing group there to harvest and but there were certain places where the soil was really sandy and light and you know you could almost just pull them out of the ground Mm -hmm. and i specifically told everybody that was in that group to not harvest from this particular spot because it was too easy to gather them and for each person to just gather a couple plants and we did a whole thing before gathering where i had people really deeply connect with the plant like get their faces in and like dig with their hands and then like nibble on the, on the root while mm-hmm. it's still in the ground and like smell <laughs> it and you know really have like the experience of connecting with this plant plus you know praying and asking for permission and all that and then we came we were coming back and one of the women had an armload full i mean like pounds in her arms and she was standing right by that spot i asked people not to harvest and i was dumbfounded that that she wasn't able to hear what i said and it really made me um it it's there's a there's been several moments of different types in my career as a teacher that really like hammered something into me of like well i really i really need to get people to understand this yes and i questioned her about it and i found out later that she was from someone else that she was opening her own like herb shop with a friend and Mm. so she was using this as an opportunity to like this isn't this was a time for us to like learn how to harvest and do our own and i was asking people not to come back to the places i was taking them these are the places i've scouted out yeah she's actually taking it so she could you know no profit sell it profit (laughs) and and that's you know one of the principles of regenerative wildcrafting and is for me is this is is it's relational Mm -hmm. and not transactional Mm -hmm. and there's a distinction in that like transactional is that is the way that everything works in our culture right you you have something and i want it i give you something and you give it to me and that's the end of it And we don't consider the the relational aspects of things. And and in other cultures, there's more of this like relationality where, oh, I do something for you and you don't necessarily have to do something back to me in return, but we just trust that it's going to keep going. We're all going to be helping each other. But this transactional way, it, it promotes more of like a greed way of being than yeah. trusting in what's being offered. And you know, if you think about the, you know, just imagining like the, the 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 Europeans that arrived in this land, and they came from a place where they had completely just wiped out plant species, forests. You know, it goes back thousands of years back to even like the Middle East, where that area was like lush. You know, the land of milk and honey, and it was just desertified by overharvesting of trees and the de- devastation mm-hmm. of forests. And then arriving in a place here, it seems like, oh, it's so abundant. There's so much here. We could just take as much as we want. Mm. But if we just take and we don't give back, we see what happens. And of course, yeah. the, 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 the forests that uh, were here when the colonists arrived were not just like that because they just did that. They were like that because there were lots and lots of people that inhabited this land 
that were tending and working within those ecosystems to keep things going and that so there'd be more and it, so so there's the don't just take without giving but also to understand that humans aren't inherently a negative um thing in ecosystems that actually right. if we look at it like there's places like here in the northwest where there were these massive you know like tended places for wild foods where there's a wapato or, or camas roots and you can still you find you're going in the mountains you'll find a place for like i was on a bike trip this summer in uh like south central oregon and we just came across this meadow where there were just acres of camas mm. and it's like oh clearly this was a place where the original inhabitants the indigenous people of these lands cultivated these things so what i was what i was getting to was that certain plants need our interaction to keep them going mm -hmm. and um and if if humans aren't tending to those places then the stands will actually diminish so we don't have an inherent negative impact on ecosystems we just have to be aware of how we do interact with those things and that's why i, I I mean, I, the word regenerative is pretty fashionable right now and pretty mm -hmm. trendy. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, really, I thought hard about to call this regenerative wildcrafting. It just <laughs> felt so right. And when I really studied the word regenerative, it means create again. Mm. So it's not it's not so much about like like again getting away from the human centric. Like we're going to create again. We're going to make more and more plants and do this thing. It's about finding the ways that we can align with the ecosystems so that the ecosystems themselves are the ones that are doing the that's doing the regeneration it's not mm -hmm. us we're just finding ways that we can interact and align with those inherent processes of regeneration renewal and regrowth mm, i love that so much and it, as you speak all of these things i'm like look at all these great things he instilled in me and my practices of, <laughs> of wildcrafting and how i get to go out and teach people those kinds of things as well but i'd love for you to share some of the ways that we as people can integrate more with this practice like specific details how can we really help create again with these plants and and yeah make that movement happen like what could somebody that's listening right now really plant in their minds for the rest of their life as they go out to wildcraft and have that respect okay i gotta come up with some good here <laughs> <laughs> pressure's on scott <laughs> well the first thing i'll say is that the, that it's something that we can't do alone it's another breaking down of that separate self. It has that really has to happen in community because it's it's about more than just okay, I'll get to that part. It, so we have to study ecosystems. We have to really understand as best we can how they function. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So like for me, there's certain plants that I've been I had been harvesting that I don't harvest anymore like that. Um, Lagusticum that I was talking about, even though I know that in that place I can harvest and I, and, and I will occasionally go there and harvest just a little bit, but I don't sell it at, through Cascadia Folkwinds. And I just have it for my own personal usage mm -hmm. and to share with people in the community. Um, and the reason I don't harvest that anymore is because I don't know enough about the ecology of how those plants grow to say with confidence that I know if I harvest from a stand, and 
um, let's say I, 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 I make assessments and I feel like, okay, I can take, you know, just a few plants from this big giant stand. The questions I'm asking myself are, since this is a really slow growing plant, how long is it going to take for those plants to come back? Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I say, I, you know, cause what I would do is I would plant seeds from at that, as I'm harvesting, I would be harvesting at the time the seeds are ripe. Mm-hmm. And then the holes that I would dig out, I plant the seeds. Some, some plants you can plant, replant the crowns for roots. Mm-hmm. Like Angelica does really well. Um, planting, if you take the, I'm making hand motions so the people that are <laughs> listening can't see, but when imagine, I get the when I get the YouTube channel back up. <laughs> <laughs> imagine a carrot and you, you you dig up the root and then the part at the top that's called the crown where the leaves come out, mm-hmm. you can cut that off. You can do it with a carrot too, and you can plant that back in the ground and the roots will regrow from there and then the above ground part will come back. It doesn't I haven't noticed that working so well with the Lagustacum the legustacum cray but one thing i've noticed is that they often grow entwined with each other there'll be several seeds have sprouted and so the roots will be twisted so you can dig out the side of the hole and take you know just un unentwine part of it and leave the other part to stay growing so those are ways we can do that in the short term but in the long term i want to know how long it takes because the, the one of the other principles of regenerative wildcrafting is to make sure that there's going to be more there than when we started. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of like that again, aligning with that create again from the, mm-hmm. what or regenerate means. And until I know that I don't feel comfortable doing large harvests in places. So that's one way is for us to really gather together to do these studies of with certain plants. Like some things it's, it's either with nettles, you know, like. Right. Harvest St. John's wort. <laughs> you know, I've had times where I had St. John's wort that I harvested before I got, you know, sophisticated enough to have like a, a instant pot to, you know, do my oil in. I would just put it out in the, uh, you know, in a bag in the sun to have the sun heated up and um, to do the extraction. And there was one year where it just was one of those years where it didn't, it wasn't sunny in the summer. And so I had like two batches go bad on me, but I went back to the same places, you know, like a week or two later and the same plants I harvested from were filled with flowers again, because that plant is so just keeps giving and giving. So with those plants, we don't have to worry so much with these other plants, especially root plants that are slow growing, like, like used to come and then Lomatium dissectum is another one. It takes a really long time for them. You know, they'll just be tiny little for 10 years. They'll be like the size of a pencil. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are being harvested are probably 50, 60, maybe a hundred years old. So we really have to understand the life cycle of those plants, which is like a generational thing for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then it's not just the plants, it's the ecosystems themselves. So what else is, is involved, you know, and each ecosystem has different needs and parameters. So like a meadow is going to be very different than like a high desert area. So like getting to know the different ecosystems. So what I recommend for people to do is to go spend time in all the places where you're going to harvest yeah. and think, think of those places as gardens that you're, you're tending to, that you're going to come, you know, find places that you're going to come back to again and again and again, and don't even 
harvest there at the beginning. Maybe spend a whole year watching the cycle and coming back and seeing what animals show up, what birds are there, um, how the life cycle of the plant works. And then, you know, eventually we will have, and there's this term in anthropology, um, traditional ecological knowledge that they uh, abbreviate as tech, T-E-K. And people are talking about that a lot more now because it, it, it's obvious that the traditional knowledge that First Nations people have all over the world is a key to us getting out of the kind of mess we're in with climate change. But again, it's like, it can't be done from the place of like, oh, you have this thing that we need, because that's also part of what got us into this mess. But like, just recognizing and honoring that that knowledge exists, and it's been honed and, um, and brought together for over countless generations. So we can't expect to be able to do that ourselves, but there are ways that we can um, start to approximate that or create the conditions for ourselves as part of a community, the communities of wildcrafters or plant people or whatever we want to call ourselves to start to do that kind of a study on our own. Mm -hmm. And I, I could keep going on for for that more but i think we, i'll pause for a second and see if you have anything to oh gosh there's so much to unpack with that you probably saw me writing like little notes on on things to mention and um this this is just really such important work and one of the things you did come back to it but i just wanted to reiterate is the importance of well i said come back to it but coming back and like visiting these places it's not like hey i came across this stand. And so I'm just going to take it all, but you're actually developing a relationship with the plants, with the land, really, really, truly getting to know them. And I think that's so incredibly important. And it's one of the things that people really are missing out on a lot today. And I feel like, you know, we need to shout this as loudly as possible, the importance of it. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying throughout this. And then I also wanted to touch a bit on the generational thing in a few different aspects. One, I wanted to let you know, I have been given this great honor to be teaching some native Alaskan elders about medicine making and about each month we're deep diving on a, a plant native to their area. And when I got this opportunity, I was both overjoyed and so saddened because here I am, this European white girl coming in to teach you about the medicine that you're growing around because this information and knowledge was essentially stripped from you and your people. And so sometimes I'm really fortunate in those classes that somebody is there to share what their grandfather or their grandmother did with them. And when I get to hear those stories, it brings me so much joy and, and magic. But I just it makes me very curious on how we can help to continue to uncover some of this information that was there for so long. And then again, our greedy society basically stripped it from all of us for quite some time. Um, so that that's one thing. And then I think a lot about like the generational thing and being a mother and you're a father of two young boys and, and I know they're in practice with these things because I know you and your wife are very in tune with all of this, but how can we all start to instill this essential knowledge 
for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren so that we make this common knowledge for the world again. And obviously you're doing that through your book, but these are just some of the pieces that I really picked up from what you were just saying. Yeah. And I I want to reiterate too that, that, because I'm, 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 I was doing a lot of like, be very cautious and come back to the places again and again and again. And, And I think sometimes people can take that too far and think, oh, we should never touch anything and har- or harvest anything out there because it's too everything's too fragile and <laughs> and like that. But I but I also want to say it's it's my experience is that the land is so happy when people come with respect and humility and interact. And so to also just encourage people to not be afraid, but to get to know those the plants that are are the ones that we don't have to worry so much about. Like I'd mentioned nettles and um, St. John's word and, you know, like cottonwood buds or just mm-hmm. abundant, the plants throw them off and, you know, red, like, cedar, red cedar, same <laughs> like in the, this time of year in the, you know, fall, winter time, the winds blow and just the tips fall off and you can even just go and gather them off the ground and they, mm-hmm. they're still fresh. Um, so getting to know those plants first, the ones that are easily, easy to identify. Mm-hmm. because you have to be able to identify the plants first. You mentioned that in your story that seeing people like, I mean, I've had the experience too of people coming to me as a teacher saying, Oh, look, I just made medicine from this plant. And I look at the jar. I'm like, that's not <laughs> the plant you think it is. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if, if someone's doing that with a toxic plant, they could really hurt themselves or somebody else. So to be really careful about that. And just a little aside with that, to be really aware of the, the APACA family, the carrot family, mm-hmm. person family, which has lots of very medicinal and very toxic plants. So get to know that family really well. And then the Ranunculaceae family, the buttercup family, which also has some really important medicinal plants and also some very toxic plants. So that's a good place to start in terms of knowing what not to harvest. And then, but then finding the easy plants and, and getting, just getting comfortable with those. Yeah. And and then from there, doing that deeper study of of the ecosystems and going to places. And there's a way. There's ways that we can. Um, well, I'll tell, I'll tell this story. That there's there's a story that I was remembering this morning as I was thinking about this being here with you today. Of when I was at a place in my life where I I I was I, I've been very cautious about my harvesting for a really long time wanting to do it, you know, do it right and, and do it a certain way. And like when I harvest um, trees, tree bark, I've been, you know, pretty proud to say that I, for years, I never took like a standing tree down or took bark from a standing tree that I just harvested from trees that had fallen over, but that were still rooted in, which is a another, you know, one of the practices that I would encourage is, and I talk about this in my book, and I will talk about it in this uh, Relationships of Loving reciprocity wildcrafting course that's going to be coming out soon that we'll talk more about later so excited for that (laughs) a video video just showing it showing this process but um but so there came a time where as as cascadia folk medicine was growing i couldn't just find the you know the perfect broken branch or or you know tree that had fallen over and so i was in the forest and i was asking okay what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I found myself sitting right next to two 
alder trees. They were growing like this far apart. And it became clear to me, and, and I'll say this again, this is part of part of doing this work in a community. Um, and before I was talking about doing it in a community, so we have lots of people studying these places, because it's a lot for one person to do, to go to all these different places and spend so much time. But if we can all, you know, gather together um, and help each other with that, it's great. And in this case, there's this listening, perceiving process that happens that's not, you know, that isn't necessarily acknowledged by uh, modern science, mm-hmm. let's say, which is these, this energetic way of connecting with plants and with the land and with ecosystems. And and doing that in a community is really important because it's easy to get kind of caught up in our own ego stuff with that. And we can get grandiose with it and think, oh, I know what's going on. Or, you know, I got this message that I should, you know, cut down all the trees here because this is what needs to happen, you know, things like that. But if you have people in a community that are doing that together, we can sort of check on each other. So Mm -hmm. I've been very grateful to have people that I can, you know, discuss these things with. And in this case, I did discuss this with someone. and it it made sense afterwards, you know, like being there, asking, okay, it's like these trees were, at, were asking one, they were saying, take one of us. And I was like, I felt so bad to cut a tree down. And I was sitting there, sitting with it, struggling with this. And I opened my eyes and there was a hummingbird just like sitting right in front of me. Just, and for me, that was just the message. Okay, this mm-hmm. is what needs to happen. And then, as I was as I was engaging in the process, it became clear. It's like, oh yeah, if there's two trees that are growing right next to each other, they're gonna just take, you know, have to share, you know, what they're receiving. If I take one out, then the other one is gonna thrive more, mm-hmm. and it's gonna actually, you know, I remembered back to my days of um, kind of living with homesteaders and learning about you know agroforestry practices where you're going to go through a forest and you thin out in a certain way and take wood for firewood and for building materials and if you divide it into like seven sections by the time you come back to the first section there's more trees there than when Mm -hmm. you start so right (laughs) yeah valuable lesson for sure and i i love the lesson in there and listening to those plants and taking that time to just stop and 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 meditate if for lack of better word with those plants and ask for an answer and let them speak to you because they do right (laughs) and then you can come to these new lessons and these new realizations that you had it sounds like so i love that that's um that's beautiful (laughs) it wasn't something that just was like oh should i do this and it just went bing it was i spent hours there with right. those trees and just feeling into the all everything around and feeling into the trees and so it wasn't a yeah it was it's, it's a it's a process yeah i also love what you're saying about community and and i know we talked about how like obviously uh, to really study these things in great depth for a long time takes a lot of time from an in- individual but how can you connect with a community to uh, you know, just say, Hey, this is, this is what we're up to. We want to explore this over here. Like, how does that really work? 
I know you're in a pretty awesome community. So I'm just really curious about how that works. I mean, how it works in, from- in a world of, let yeah. me just preface, like in a world of major disconnection with our super connection, right? Because I feel like so many are very disconnected from others. Right. Right. And there's so much of the community is happening online. Yeah. And that's great for connecting people, but it's not necessarily going to, you know, foster yeah. this thing that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, you know, the way that I've seen it work the best is people going to herb schools. and then the community that develops within you know that yeah programs and you know but i'm sure even if you're not you don't have the you know the capacity to do like a year-long program there's always going to be like someone doing smaller shorter classes you could take a you know go on a plant walk with people and meet people that way Mm -hmm. um I've struggled with this myself because I've, I've, you know, I, 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 for years, I, you know, taught at the Elderberry School mm-hmm. and then, and then I also concurrently had the School of Forest Medicine going for part of that time and had, you know, every year, you know, at least two groups of, you know, pretty large groups of students to interact with and kind of usher through <laughs> these processes. And in my, in my own life, I found, I just don't have the time for that anymore to like really connect, mm-hmm. which is why I'm doing this video course. Um, yeah. and, and I haven't figured out how to create the community around that. I'm working on that myself. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's so much to be said about that physical hands-on in person in yeah. space feeling like when I first started teaching herbalism online, instead of in person, I'm like, how do I relay the smell, the touch, the taste. Like I just remember back in my days with you and elderberry and like we tasted every plant. We like we felt what it felt like, you know, and I can't exactly do that, but I'm doing all right in the fostering of the community. But there's there's some sacrifices that have to be made and some gains as well, because now I have people all over the world that are learning with me. So that's beautiful. But yeah, a challenge indeed. So I know you can get some tips from you about (laughs) always happy to collaborate and share what I know on all of those things. I love love to do that anytime you want outside of a podcast, (laughs) but I do want to hear a lot more. You have a new book coming out. You have this course coming out and I know for sure that anybody's that's learning about wildcrafting or herbalism in any way, shape or form from you is in great hands. So I would love for you to talk more about that and and what's going on. Yeah. So the, the, the course, it's going to be a video, it's a video course of the main component of it is these videos of harvesting and like, so it'll be like bark harvest. We harvest red alder, mm-hmm. um, for flowers. We harvest St. John's word. And I tried to make it plants that are accessible, you know, across North America and even in, in Europe, if people want to tap into it. And there's, there's a few, there's like Opal Panax Devil's Club, which I, I, I'm, I won't get into it now, but I'm trying not to call it Devil's Club. Oh, um, you can totally get into it if you <laughs> if you want. Yeah. No worries. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it really quick because it's kind of off the topic. But it, I it really came to this. It came last summer where I realized it's 
I found ways to make it make sense for me. You know, it's like the club that beats the devils away because it really helps with like negative thought forms and things like that. But the the truth is like the name is given to that plant and there's places all over the world that are called like devil's grove or devil's tower. And all those places are places where people communed with nature spirits Mm. or like plants that have that name or plants that help gain access to that. And so it just felt like it was part of this real colonial mindset that I'm trying to get, you know, extricate myself from. So the plant many years ago told me, asked me to call it a shusha. So I call it a shusha or oplopanex. And um, a lot of people have call it a shusha also because of the studying with me. But I remember um, that now, like, as you said it, I was like, oh, ding, light bulb. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any problem with anybody else calling it Devil's Club. I just, it just, for me, it feels like it's, it's a respectful way of continuing the relationship with that, with that plant. Absolutely. But that's one of the plants that we, um, have a video for just because it's such a um a unique style of harvesting that really exemplifies this whole regenerative wildcrafting thing and then um and then because it's just one of the main plants that I work with so yeah. so anyway so but then we so we have alder st john's wort um nettles for leaves and so there's videos for each type of plant part that can be then extrapolated to other plants of you know of that type you can harvest any kind of bark you can use this as the example and it's meant to be a companion to my book pacific northwest medicinal plants because it's i did i was able to get a lot of wildcrafting info in there Mm -hmm. but but it you know like you said even even like just talking about online and I've taught wild crafting online for, had been teaching it for several years and felt good to get that information out. But it was like, I know I don't have the capacity with all that I'm doing in my life to get out there. I mean, cause it's, you know, there's a whole timing thing and then like scheduling. So it was like taking two years to do all these videos yeah, and get there at the time and do all that stuff. So, and the videos are, it's been so fun. I'm working with this, like a professional filmmaker guy mm-hmm. and named Noel Adams. And he, you know, together we've just kind of crafted. So it's, it's, it's not just one frame. Right. He's standing there talking beautiful about beautiful film work, <laughs> beautiful film work, telling, yeah. kind of telling a story. And, you know, it's kind of like the getting into where the plant is and all that. So it's, I'm really excited about how, how, um, how it looks and feels and how it, it feels like it's going to in the same way that I tried in the book and it seemed to be successful because people comment on it, that they're like, I can feel that there's something more in here that you're trying to say about the plants and I can feel it coming through. And um, so I'm trying to do that with these videos too, that there's more to it than just we're out there harvesting plants. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be that. It'll be an online course that is based on the, the wild crafting kind of like six hours of wild crafting lecture that I've been teaching for, you know, many, many years. And then the book is not going to be coming out just yet. But there's going to be a booklet that goes, that would be more like a thing to put like in your back pocket when you take out to help. It'll have like kind of like the philosophical grounds and like the deeper understandings of why we want to do things this way. But then also the very practical, like 
how do we study ecosystems? So you can go out there and like be reading this and then have like the ethical uh, guidelines and all that stuff and with you while you're out harvesting. And yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the, the gist of it, but and then the, yeah. Yeah. That sounds so amazing. Like I'm, I'm so excited for it to come out and to share it with the masses. Like it's such important work and I can only imagine how beautiful you're going to make it. And especially having like an actual videographer as somebody who puts on online courses and I'm like, here's my zoom video. <laughs> you know, There's so much to be said about really great quality film work and the knowledge and wisdom that's going to be passed throughout there. I love it. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. When do you anticipate it being ready? Well, we're going to, we're going to do a, a Kickstarter that's going to come in the beginning of January. Good timing for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so people listening to this might be listening to right as that's happening. Mm -hmm. and, and so that will be to kind of, I had to, borrow money to make this so to kind of pay that back and then to finish the final editing stuff and get the the publishing of the booklet and all the materials that go along with it um and and we're we would like it to be ready by february and it might be some the kind of thing where portions are ready but the idea is that it's it's also a it goes by season so mm -hmm. the first video that we that we videoed and the one the first one that's going to come out is black cottonwood buds mm. and so that one we want to make sure that that's ready for when it's black cottonwood harvesting time i love that actually i've already seen the buds like dropping down because i have a ton of cottonwoods in my backyard and the buds are already doing their thing which is so fascinating to see i'm like wait let's think about february and they're like no we're yeah. ready we just dropped <laughs> our leaves we're ready to go <laughs> we want the next round and i'm like okay you can do that too. It's cute uh -huh. because as my partner's like cleaning up the yard, he's like, look, I saved you something. And he, you know, brings me this cottonwood branch. And, <laughs> yeah. and that, that, that brings up another topic that's really important in this is that when I talked about like the traditional ecological knowledge, it was pretty consistently, you know, the long-term study of things that there was a pretty consistent behavior that we saw. Right. And that people saw. And now it's not like that, as you, I'm sure you've seen where things are happening very erratically. Things are blooming out of season and this. So it has a whole nother layer. And I'll get into that some in this course. And <laughs> I can actually link, um, you know, when we. Yeah. You can just put links in the in the podcast to an article that I wrote and also maybe some a talk that I gave on this topic of wild crafting in a warming world. That's about how do we as wild crafters adjust ourselves because there's even more factors to consider now because if things are blooming out of sequence and there's pollinators that need to get the nectar from those plants, we have to be even more careful about how we're harvesting. And then there's also this aspect of like triage where there are certain things that are going to be yeah, you know, like it might make sense to, it makes sense for us to consider um, how we harvest based on like different factors than just what we usually consider. I'll just say yeah. that for now about the triage. Yeah. yeah, there's there's so many things to think about with this 
with the state of our entire environment. (laughs) So many changes. Like I just saw, I think last week or so, maybe the week before, how our USDA temperate zones are now different all across the country. If you didn't see that, it's uh, the latest news. It's official. The scientists are even seeing it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I laugh and I don't mean to. I think that's the only thing I can do other than get really sad and angry or what have you, or just keep being as proactive as I possibly can and talking with people like you to talk with people that are listening to the show right now and help people like you get your message out and this this course out is going to be so amazing. I'm so excited for it. Do you happen to know yet a website for the Kickstarter, like a link for that, if you were going to tell everybody listening? It is there, but I'll, I'll we'll have to just put it in the... We'll put it in the notes. Thanks, because I, I, I don't remember it. Yeah. It's okay. Totally okay. Um, I am really excited to connect to that and help get that word out. And so you can help get your word out because it's invaluable, invaluable. Um, Yeah, of course. I so appreciate what you do. It's, oh no, it's everything. (laughs) (laughs) That noise wasn't supposed to happen on the podcast, but it did. Um, Okay, Scott, I would love for you to just share even more of Scott's wisdom. If there's somebody out there listening that's like, hey, I've been like listening to this herb stuff and I'm kind of into it. And I think I want to use more herbs and I really want to wildcraft. If you just had one more piece of wisdom to share with them, they're very, very new at it. They're very curious. What would you say to them? Well, yeah, the thing I, I, I was going to ask if there was another thing I could share, because yeah. we just talked about this dire situation and how it's, you know, it's so confusing and, you know, it, to to be a wildcrafter right now. But what I was thinking about that came to me was, um, you know, there's there's these ways that I call mutually beneficial wildcrafting, you know, and, and this idea of regenerative doing things of create again that there's ways that we can harvest that actually we can see make the plants grow more. And that's a really good thing, I think, for someone to experience because um, if you see that in action, that creates, you know, a feeling of, oh, yes, this is real. This is actually happening. Mm -hmm. You know, and like nettles is a great example. Like when I worked at the herb farm, we used nettles for... um, for making the compost that would go to feed the seedlings that were planted out on the land and nettles was a huge component of the compost so we would cut the nettles i were i I didn't work there for a long time but i did apprenticeship and then i stayed on for a season but i think it would be the the nettles would be cut three or four times in the season and added to the compost pile and they would just keep growing back and um and nettles, of course, is really good in compost because it helps make things break down. It's filled with nutrients and minerals, so it's really good for the for the seedlings. But just to see that you could cut this plant and it would come back is mm-hmm. great. If somebody has basil plants growing in their garden, even if you if you if you just let the basil plants grow, then they'll just kind of do this thing like this. But if you if you cut them early, they'll where you cut them. It'll help two 
branches will come out from that point where you cut it. So if you keep cutting, it, it'll get bushier and bushier and bushier. And so to find leaf growing plant, you know, plants that you're harvesting the leaves from to do that from, I have, you know, I, you must have, you went to Southern Oregon on the wild crafting trip with Elder, right? And they, sure did. Yeah. yeah. The Herba Santa. Yep. I actually still have it sitting in this bottle right here <laughs> okay. from that time. That was a very <laughs> spiritual experience for me. <laughs> yeah. So we connected deeply with the Herba Santa plants there <laughs> that grow in places where there's been disturbance and where there's been, especially when there's been fires, the seeds need fire to, um, for the seed coating to crack. So they're basically there to wait for a fire so that when a fire comes and the vegetation gets burned away, they can come and grow and then stabilize the soil. Um, so what I found in taking groups, there was a specific spot where we go and I take elderberry school group there and school of forest medicine group there. And the places where we harvested, the plants just became bushier and bushier and bushier. And with, with plant, like when I was talking about basil, that's a plant that's in the mint family. So it has oppositely arranged leaves. So they would come out. So you don't have to really think about it for much. You just snip and the two mm-hmm. side shoots will come grow into new branches. But with a plant like Yerba Santa that has uh, alternately arranged leaves, the trick is just to cut from a leaf that is pointing outward so that the new branch also grows outwards so that the plants grow outward. So um, in those places where we, you know, two groups of like 12 to 16 people every year were coming and harvesting, you know, a nice bag full for each person. And I also was harvesting for Cascadia folk medicines, medicine. The places where we harvested were the most healthy, vibrant, lush plants in the whole area. The other ones were kind of, they just grew up kind of scraggly and, you know, did their thing and there's nothing wrong with that. But just to be able, for someone to be able to see that if I interact with this place, I can actually make there be more plants. I think that's a really good thing to, to instill like that sense of hope. Cause for me, even, even with all that dire stuff that, you know, we were talking about and the effects of climate change and ecological destruction, I still, I mean, there's parts of me that, I go into moments of despair, Mm -hmm. but deep down in my being, I feel so much. um, There's actually a feeling of excitement because change, change, change happens all the time on this planet. And the most, the biggest, you know, flourishings of life have always happened after like mass extinctions. Mm -hmm. You know, every time that, you know, like when the dinosaurs got killed off, that's when mammal life you know, exploded into the world. And I gave, we wouldn't be here probably if that hadn't have happened. Mm -hmm. So not that I want there to be mass extinctions, but that if we look at the resilience of ecosystems, we can see that plants will grow there. They may not be the plants that used to grow there. Mm -hmm. So another thing that I encourage people to do is to study the plants that are often considered invasive and that kind of terminology that kind of demonizes them for growing into places, but they're only growing there because usually because there's been some human impact on the land Mm -hmm. that has created disturbance that the plants that are usually growing there uh, natively aren't able to respond. So these other plants come and do that. So looking to those plants, like to me, alder is a plant that grows in places of devastation. So for me, it's been a teacher about 
this whole pro practice of regenerative wildcrafting and just the regeneration of ecosystems and watching how how they do their thing has helped me understand how to align myself with those natural processes of renewal in the world. I love all that you said there. And it made me think of something that happened for me this summer that was beautiful. So when I ran my product line, I gathered Arnica for that and I would do Arnica mollusks. And I had this beautiful field area where I would go gather every other year or so. And I went back there this summer after not being there for a few years. And I, cause I'd started paying people to grow my Arnica for me. Um, and it was so beautiful, Scott. It was so much more yellow and abundance. And I was like, I helped that make that happen because I knew when I was there, I was so very intentional with what I was gathering and how I was gathering it. And it was such a beautiful reward, like literally beautiful because it's a sea of yellow, gorgeous Arnica everywhere, but also knowing that it was even more abundant than it was before just felt great. And like, as cheesy as hashtags may be, mine is spread like wildflowers. And I'm like, mm. perfect. That's exactly what's happening right there. It was it was really beautiful. So mm, I love that. <laughs> proud, proud moment there. <laughs> it's really, really great. Right, and it feels it feels great to witness that. And it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be always so heavy of like oh, our impact, though we yeah. should feel we can the make grief. A difference. Yeah. We can feel the grief, but we can also feel that we can make a difference and that we can yeah. really celebrate that. So I join you in celebrating that. <laughs> Heck yes, we can all make a difference. And I took a video of it and used it as an educational piece for my students. Like, hey, this is what can happen when you harvest in an ethical way. And here's how you would harvest Arnica if you were to come up across abundance and abundance of it. So um yeah thank you so much that like i think we can end this show on like this positive note of how we can all make this positive difference well yes the world needs us that's what it is it needs us to make this positive difference so um yes. as we do that any other last words like let's definitely make sure people know exactly where to find you so that we will be putting links to all of the things, of course, and we have this Kickstarter coming up in January. If you guys are listening and wanting to learn more about wildcrafting, you really, really, really need to take Scott's course. Like, please, um, you will learn so much. So yeah, let us know how other people can be in touch with you. And if you have, if you are in the Pacific Northwest, Scott's book is Pacific Northwest Medicinal Plants, and it's absolutely beautiful, great images, perfect amounts of information to have you out making great medicine and harvesting amazing plants as well. So, yeah. Now, I'll let you tell you about, <laughs> tell everybody yeah. about you too. <laughs> great. Thank you. Um, so, uh, the School of Forest Medicine is my main website. Uh, forestmedicine.net is the... Is the URL, and from there there will be there will be a page that will lead you to the Kickstarter <laughs> under um, relationships of loving reciprocity. That's the name of the course. And Cascadia Folk Medicine. If you want to get a get 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 a hold of some of the medicines that um, we make, it's 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 less me making the medicines these days, and there's. Um, a good friend and colleague of mine, Samantha Tanis, is making the medicine and and distributing the medicine. I help a little bit still, and um, they're still super high quality and all harvested with great care and intention, sung to and prayed with. 
Um, and that is Cascadia Folk Med- yeah, CascadiaFolkMedicine.com to get there. And yeah, we'll have the Kickstarter link. And is there anything else? Yeah, there's there's on my website, there's lots of talks that I've given. And there's mm-hmm. definitely some about um wild wild crafting and medicine making. But you know, the the, the also it's like this this project is bringing together two things that I love dearly, which is um the wild crafting and medicine making, but also this like shift in consciousness that needs to happen for us to be able to come back to being beneficial um, components as humans of the earth system. And that, you know, I think maybe, I don't, I think you invited me to say maybe a, a last word or two. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Um, would be just this idea that kind of what we ended on. It's that we can, we can let go of our human centrism that, you know, humans are the center of the universe and we're the all important beings on this planet let go of that, but we don't have to let go of that. We are actually still important. Like we were, we were just discussing it. So we do have an important role to play in ecosystems and, and with our ability to perceive and our ability to um, understand how things work and, and kind of, if we can align with that and also just to appreciate like the beauty of everything and to be bear witness to the, the incredible majesty of life on this planet. It is so incredible. Yes. One more question for you, Scott. In your course, will you have your songs? No, but I, but I, but I should, I should get them in there. You should at least make it some sort of bonus or some sort of perk or something, because there's a lot of magic to that. Oh, did you say songs? Yes. Oh, I thought you said my sons. No, no. I mean, sure, but (laughs) songs. There there will be something about about singing as part of making offerings and and respect to the plant connecting with the plants there's yeah there will be a a part about the the importance of song Mm -hmm. and and the can i tell one quick little story about songs okay (laughs) um i haven't verified it you know my myself scientifically that the singing makes the medicine better but i know that it does Mm -hmm. and i have a friend who is uh, a, a Ugandan medicine person. And he shared with me that when he was, he was working with a group of people, uh, traditional herbalists, and also people that were trying to bring the herbal traditional herbal medicine in Uganda into the hos- Western hospitals. And they were, and they were doing, um, they were just doing studies of the, the medicinal constituents of plants. And so he did this little trick with them where he gathered one batch that he sang to, and prayed with the plants mm-hmm. and then from the same area and then harvested the other ones without doing that and the constituent levels were higher in the ones that were sung to and prayed with i have no doubt in my mind about that at all i definitely saw that with many people in the organ cannabis industry as well yeah. those that had songs and connection and such grew better so i love that that they did that as an actual test too and kind of slip that in there i love that 
That's beautiful. Songs, songs, plant songs are so good. Mm, Aren't they? So good for us. So good for them. Like, it's beautiful. Well, thank you again so much, Scott. I always love when I get to have conversation with you and listen to you and learn from you. And I can't wait to see what's coming up with your new course. Great. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you, too. I wish we could could hang out more. I don't know. We're not even far from each other. (laughs) Not far. We're both very busy. But uh, maybe we could get our families together. That would be beautiful. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the day. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of The Herbalist Path. Being on this journey with you is absolutely incredible. If you dig this episode, please leave me a review on your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends so that together we can make herbalism hashtag spread like wildflowers. On another note, I must mention that while I know you're getting some good info here, it's important to remember that this podcast is purely for entertainment and educational purposes and is not intended to be a substitute for medical treatment. While the information in this podcast is absolutely relevant, herbs work differently for each person and each condition. That's why I recommend you work with a qualified practitioner, whether that be another herb herbalist, a naturopath, or your doctor. So thank you again. I am truly honored that you're tuning into these episodes and on the path with me to make sure that there's an herbalist in every home again. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends so that we can make herbalism. Hashtag spread like wildflowers. take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. Medicinal mushrooms are all the rage these days, if you didn't know already. And with great reason, because they are powerful medicine that can improve your health and your life in so many different ways when they're well-made. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of stuff on the market that isn't going to be so effective. And that's why you need to find a brand that you can actually trust. For me, that brand is Whole Sun Wellness. And this is the creation of a brilliant woman and fellow mama, Jamie Bonfiglio. She's an international mushroom educator that has been working in the medicinal mushroom industry for years. And this is when she saw firsthand how many other companies take shortcuts when it comes to their products. And Jamie wasn't having it. She set out to build her company the right way. Whole Sun Wellness is here to raise the industry standards so those crap mushrooms on the market aren't getting into your body or your family's body. Whole Sun Wellness is the first company to test and report nutritional facts for all of their extracts. They go beyond industry standards every step of the way, from sourcing to extraction and final testing. And as the owners of the largest medicinal mushroom farm in the United States, Whole Sun Wellness is taking control of their supply chain for the highest quality and absolute full transparency. 
They're even the first company to include pure mycelium extract in every single product. So when you're thinking of getting medicinal mushrooms for you and your family, Whole Sun Wellness is exactly the ones you want. Also, be sure to check out their new Mycolites. These are the world's first dissolvable electrolyte tablets. They're featuring functional mushroom extracts that'll give you more energy, more stamina, and recovery as well. And who couldn't use all of that? The other thing is, they are these adorable little mushroom-shaped tablets, and they come in like a little Altoids box, but way cooler than Altoids because they're Mycolites. Anyways, head to wholesunwellness.com to grab yourself some Mycolites and all of the other functional medicinal mushrooms that you and your family need. And of course, you can grab that link right here in the show notes now. 